Uh, good morning, everyone. It's very nice to be here uh, this morning. I'm just sharing uh, a bit more about what God has put on, on my heart. So uh, this morning, we're continuing our series uh, uh, in Ephesians, uh, looking at chapter 2. Um, and just to, as a bit of a reminder, this is a letter from Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, uh, which is a, quite an influential place in the Roman world. Um, and we've kind of looked at this, kind of splitting the book in two. Um, the first half, chapters 1 to 3, where Paul is telling the church uh, in Ephesus about our new identity in Christ. Um, and then the, the latter chapters goes on to tell the church how we're then to act out in that new identity. So uh, who we are and what we do. Um, and John started off last week uh, talking about the blessings that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. Um, how God has lavishly blessed us. How God has chosen us. The gift of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the, the newfound authority we have because of this gift. Um, and John used this very, um, very powerful depiction of our self-image um, as a dirty water glass, as we can often think like that, that we're dirty and unclean. We do the things that we don't want to do. But if we set our minds on Jesus and what he has done for us, the blessings that God has freely given us, as it says in Ephesians 1, the clean water pours into the glass. It begins to displace the dirty water as we begin to replace how we think of ourselves and into how God sees us instead. And so this week we're moving on to Ephesians 2 as Paul continues his letter. But there's just a small section at the end of Ephesians 1 uh, that I think is helpful here. So let's dive in here. So if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 and we'll read through all the way to ch uh, chapter 2 verse 10. He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Moving on to chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him, with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So prior to this passage, Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus that God will give them a better understanding of who, uh, who God is and a better knowledge of the power that he has given to them uh, for the mighty works that he has in store for them. Uh, I think this is quite fitting for us this morning, so I'm just going to pray uh, this same prayer over us. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him this morning. 
I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Jesus, we pray we continue to open our eyes this morning as to how you see us through your great kindness to us, through the, our salvation paid with your blood. Give us a glimpse of this love that you have for us this morning. As we read your word, open our hearts, fill us with your spirit, and inspire us to leave here to continue to look to you as our source of our identity. Amen. Who, uh, this is a bit of, it's going to date me, but who remembers, it's probably going to date a lot of you more, um, who remembers Stars in Their Eyes? Fantastic TV show where you know members of the public would be transformed into uh, any like music star, and then they would go and sing. So tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Elvis, and you kind of disappear into the fog. That's later. You have to yeah, you have to pay the tickets uh, to see that show, um, and then sort of walk through the fog and return as Elvis. And I was always confused by the sort of the cut in the camera when I was younger. I thought they literally did it in the split second that the person kind of went behind stage. I thought, that's incredible. How have they done this? Um, but this, this morning, uh, we're actually going to witness two transformations. Uh, one is our new life in Christ, and the second is our new corporate identity and the unity we now have that we are all in Christ. And so we end chapter one with Paul talking about the power of God in Christ and the power that is seen in Jesus' resurrection, this amazing thing that God has done. He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavens. And Paul uses this to preface our own resurrection, saying it's this same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is what has given us new life. We have access to that same power. We too are raised with Jesus out of our former lives. And I want to keep that kind of hopeful message in your head is because we, when we start chapter two, it doesn't start very happy clappy. It's not very uh, uplifting, but uh, I want to like just stay with that thought of how uh, Jesus has resurrected. Um, we are in Jesus and sharing that same power. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. It's pretty harsh language, pretty strong language this morning, and it's a bit of a bit of a jolt when if you read that uh, without keeping the former in context. Because we're reminded initially what it's like to be dead in our sins. Um, and this language is important because uh, we know that without Jesus, the result of our sin is death. And through Jesus, we've been given life. And not only do we find life versus death, but we actually find life in all of its fullness. It's more than we could ever imagine, more than we can ever plan or orchestrate for our own lives. He's also given us a purpose and continues uh, to work in, in us as we press into him. Because without him, there is, unfortunately, a purposelessness to life. One where Paul says we're trapped in a cycle of selfish actions designed to appease our basic instincts and the need to be the author of our own destiny. When we take back control from God and actually say, no, I can do this better. And I kind of like think this, I'm like a, I'm a bit of a, like a, a zombie movie fan. So uh, like The Walking Dead, 
I kind of think of the classic zombie, like dead but alive, shuffling along, no purpose other than the craving for human flesh. And I think that I kind of get this imagery when we're reading what Paul's saying here. But there's also there's a more nefarious work at um, uh, power at work here because there's a reminder that here we act when we act according to the ways of the world that before we were in Jesus, we were following those ways of the world. And the world chooses, in its rejection of Jesus, to follow the lies and deception of the enemy. So even in the aimless shuffling about as zombies in our prior lives, in a blind disobedience to God, there is a clear direction away from Jesus towards the dark spiritual forces, which we don't often see. And this state, this kind of this quite gloomy picture that Paul is painting here, we refer to as children under wrath, meaning this is part of our default behavior. This is inherited from our earthly origin. Our inheritance from this dark place without Jesus is a desire to do the things that displease God and draw in his righteous anger. Now, as a, as a reminder, this is all past tense. This is all about our, our former lives. Paul is reminding us where we have come from because of how wonderful this new life has been given to us. It serves as a juxtaposition to underline the transformation that we have in Jesus. We need to remind ourselves what our former life looks like to truly appreciate what a new life in Jesus is. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. The fullness of this passage is just so uplifting to me. God, who is so rich in mercy, because of his great love, we are saved because God chose to do it for us, because God gave us his son for us, because God loves us more than we can understand or know in this present time. But not only are we saved, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus. Because now, just as Jesus was, uh, Jesus ascended to heaven, he's brought us with him, brought us in him. As our identity is in Christ, we can now claim our heavenly citizenship in Jesus. We're no longer our own. We're Christ's. And as part of that, we then, uh, that, that citizenship passes down to us. We're no longer citizens of earth. And our inheritance is no longer death. We're no longer children under wrath, but children of the living God, loved and cherished by the Father. And this is the transformation that has occurred with us and continues to, trans uh, continues to work within us uh, through the grace of God. So why did God do this? We read on. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from work so that no one can boast. God did it because it's who he is. It's part of his grace. This is a divine gift from God freely given to us. And our acceptance of this gift comes down to our ability to receive it through our faith in Jesus. Jesus is the way that we receive the Father's love and this gift that is given to us. And this is not just a, 
an empty belief. It's not an empty faith. The faith alone doesn't bring our salvation. Faith allows us to open the door, but it's Jesus who is knocking on the other side of it. Our opening of the door didn't bring him into existence. He was there before, and the only reason why we're opening the door is because he was knocking in the first place. So I'm kind of, I'm reading this and thinking, this is amazing. This is like wonderful language. This is so uplifting. I have a new life in Christ. I'm no longer dead in my sins. God saved me and gives me this new life freely because of his great love for me. Purely out of God's grace did he save me. And now I am heaven's as my identity is found in Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father. I'm a citizen of heaven. Are you all feeling like citizens of heaven this morning? Excited? Why do I not why do I not feel this way? Like what's 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 going on here? Come on. Why is this not the first thing that enters my mind in the morning versus, you know, diving to the coffee machine? I need to be thinking, oh, I'm a citizen of heaven. Uh, Jess already moans that I uh, take the duvet with me if I when I get up, kind of flap <laughs> open. But I should be throwing it off in the morning. I'm sure she I'm sure she'd love that. With a, sh- with a shout of praise as I welcome the new day. The wonder what God has given me. Praise his name. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Paul has spoke, uh, spoken about this previously. Um, he Romans, he talks about his sinful nature and the fact that he does what he does not want to do. And he doesn't do what he wants to do. He feels the same tension, the same uh, difficulty. Because we live with the remnants of our sinful desire, an echo of our former life before Christ. And although those passages are, are, are dark and, and, and scary, they, we, they can all resonate with them. We've all been part of that and we can continue to see the effects of, of that sin. We know that every sin was lifted with Jesus on the cross. We know that through his power of his resurrection, he's broken the power that sin had over us. But we don't yet live in the fullness of this truth. We live in this period where God is still building his kingdom here on earth. We know when it's completed, this remnant of our, of our past life will disappear entirely. We know it's done. It's finished on the, cross, on the cross. But in the meantime, that echo of our past life is still strong. It still impacts us. We, st- we feel the effects every day. God is still working within us. And we can find wholeness and life in its fullest in him during this period, during this time. But this is a process. It doesn't come automatically it doesn't come from the from day zero jesus continues that transformation power within us so where do we start if we're not feeling this this morning if we're not you know throwing off the covers every day and, and, pr- and starting off with praise where do we start i think we i think we can stand under the tap the image john used last week because the tap is flowing whether we're there or not, whether we're under it or not. God has poured out his blessing, his love, and he has blessed us immensely. And it's there for the taking, but we need to accept it. Via faith do we receive his grace. Because I think it would be weird if you received an amazing present. Imagine like a, uh, it's your Christmas or your birthday, and it's the thing you always wanted. It's the best present in the world. Thing you've had it on your on your list for years and years and then you received it and then you just left it on the shelf kind of left it there it's like oh it's amazing thank you so much this is always what i wanted and you just kind of put it aside and forget about it 
That would be strange. If that was me, I'd be taking it out, I'd be playing, it'd be some toy, some kitchen gadget, I imagine. I'd be playing with it every day. I'd be getting it out, I'd be showing everyone, everyone that walked through the door, hey, look at this cool present I got. As I've boasted before in my sermons, and I tend to keep my boasting for my sermons, um, I am a very good gift giver. I particularly take pride in this, this fact. Uh, and I brought my sister, uh, my sister-in-law, a cocktail recipe book for Christmas once. And she was absolutely in love with it. This made her Christmas. It was like her best present, number one present. And she was she was loved this cocktail recipe book so much. She was carrying it around with her. She was kind of like very excited to show people the recipes inside. Uh, and she wanted to fashion a specific bag uh, to always have it with her. So that she could get it out at a moment's notice. Um, and this is what we have in Jesus. This gift, this, this, this transformation, this the work that has transformed us from the inside out gives a new identity from the creator of the universe. But it needs to be taken out of its box and played with. It needs to be proudly brought up with us everywhere we go, available as we navigate this life. Paul, con uh, Paul concludes this, uh, next, this section by saying that we are God's workmanship. And I just love this, past this little verse. The Greek word here is where we get the word poem from. It's about something that's been created, about something that's been refined. We are God's beautiful poem. C.S. Lewis paraphrased it as we are a divine work of art. I don't know about you, but I think that, that, that describes me. But not, we don't, oh, we're not a divine work of art just to hang on a dusty gallery. We're created with a purpose. And God, God's plan for our lives is to give him the glory, as we read earlier, that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. As we step into this new identity, as we bring the Holy Spirit with us into the spaces and parts of our everyday lives that need the presence of, uh, and gift of God in those spaces, in those dark places that we were talking about before where um, the, the, the dark things that we, we read, they still exist. As we declare who Jesus is in our transformed lives, we display the glory of God and become walking billboards of the immeasurable riches of his grace. And not only because we declare the truth, but we reflect God's glory and point to him as the author of our salvation and the origin of our new lives. So that no one can boast. It's not about who we are. It's not about what, what we've done, but it's about the work that God is, is, has done for us and continues to do in us. And as um, God brings everything together in Jesus, as everything points to him, we become part of God's plan to see all people saved, which is his, his desire, as it says. As we move on, let's just keep that in our minds, because actually this is actually the beginning of everything. It's actually the, the, where God has actually started his story within us, and actually we move on from that place. And so sometimes we kind of get excited with all the other things that God has for us, we actually kind of forget where we've started from. That makes any sense. So, so we move on. So let's, let's continue to read on into our corporate identity. So Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised, by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, 
and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. He made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so he that might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together for, the, for God's dwelling in the spirit. Um, so again, in this section, um, as uh, Paul kind of reflects on our prior identity before Jesus to set up the transformation, to underline the seismic shift that God has created. Because we were foreigners to God's covenant relationship um, uh, to Israel, excluded from the citizenship without hope and without God. And God created this covenant with Israel as his original vehicle to show uh, to the world his glory. Uh, reflected through one family who deliberately separated themselves and kept themselves apart to reflect and maintain God's holiness uh, from the rest of sinful humanity. And this separation uh, caused hostility um, between those who were inside God's covenant uh, and those who were outside, and between God and those who are outside of his covenant. Um, it goes on to say, but now in Christ Jesus... You who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one, tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made no effect the law consisting of commands expressed in regulations, so he might create in himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. He did this so he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put hostility to death. It was through Jesus' blood that his, this separation was no longer necessary. We've been bought with a price, allowing us to be adopted into God's family. Because before, uh, God needed those, that separation to keep his people holy. That now, through Jesus' blood, that separation is no longer needed. Again, God has been the instigator here, drawing us near through the blood of Jesus. We're not the ones to have gone and done the moving. The moving was done to us. We have been brought near. And with Jesus' blood, the, this hostility, this sin, which caused us to be God's enemies and the enemies of God's chosen people, has been demolished. So that he might create himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. Not only are we no longer enemies, we are a new creation. God goes further than the adoption because we're no longer bound by our former identities. In this grace, he has created a new creation, one new human, resulting in peace, because Jesus is our peace. He's taken hostility. He died with him on the cross. 
There is no more need for bloodshed, for conflict, for division. As we are all in him, he has removed the need for all of it. No longer strangers. He has proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Compared to a few verses where we were a, a couple of verses ago, this has been a huge transformation. And again, it's, it's, a, you know, it's the stars in their eyes moments. It's an in and out. It's suddenly, it's this new world that we have. It's night and day difference. We're now members of God's household, citizens with the saints. This is the reality of our new identity in Christ, together with one another with fellow believers uh, and fellow people that follow Jesus. Created within Christ Jesus, so now within Jesus, becoming co-heirs with Christ, not only having our identities as citizens of heaven and as God's children, but together as the church, being Christ's body, God's chosen vehicle for his desire to see the whole world saved. It's wonderful what, uh, what Nigel was sharing, is that that is what we're called to be, one body, with Christ as our head. And I think um, I think Paul is making a, a theological point here. He's, he's talking about the um, consolidation between Jew and Gentile. He's making a theological point, but he's also pointing to something that I think he is stressing the importance of. The, his desire to see the church with a with a capital C to have unity in Christ. This, this is so vitally important because this is. God's chosen vehicle to see, to carry out his rescue plan. That's, it's, it's, it's us. And we have the power of, of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but we are, we are his hands and feet. Uh, but as we come together in Jesus, we no longer hold on to our former identities or anything that divides us. I think this is the point that Paul is making here. Is actually, yes, there is a theological change between Jew and Gentile but actually there's us as the church there is we are now a formed new creation and there is no longer barriers that separate us and Paul's used this language of dropping our former identities in another letter to the Galatians there's no longer Jew or Greek slave or free male or female since you are all one in Christ Jesus Galatians 3:28. now if you look around here you may notice we all look a little different I have very good. I have it on very good authority that I am the normal one, and you're all the weird ones. Yeah. <laughs> I pipe down. Um, but and to to be honest, speaking truthfully, this has been a bit of a frustration for me, like previously. And uh, frustration in church settings where I find myself because we are so different. We all have different expectations, different customs, different understandings, different ways of working. And so when we're planning something as the church, it's likely not to be to suit some people. It's always going to be, there's always going to be some people that it doesn't gel with. And that's the nature of serving in a relatively diverse church. And I've cried out to God in the past, say, please, God, I want to be people who think more like me, who like the same things that I like, who are at the same life stage. That's been really important as part of my journey. But these differences that we have are a feature and not a bug of God's of God's church this has been a deliberate decision because God has poured out his spirit on all flesh 
There is no one excluded from God's love due to any characteristic or division that we can think of. Not age, not gender, not race, not ethnicity, not social class, not even football team. Although we do pray for Liverpool supporters. And, yeah, and Man City supporters. Um, and we, all, we are all sat here this morning as a testament to this, that God has called all people to him and has adopted sons and daughters who we normally wouldn't be interacting this morning. We wouldn't be sitting here as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because again, Jesus has removed the hostility that exists between us and replaced it with love we have for one another that originates from his love for us. We love because he first loved us, gives us that ability, the same way that that grace extends from God, that love that he has extends from God. And he says that he will use this love that we have for one another to make the world jealous. Hey, I want some of that too. Look at those guys over there. They have such love for one another. And the thing is, this doesn't work. If we all look the same, or all had similar jobs or similar interests, those who don't yet know Jesus on the outside will be saying, oh, it's because they have that in common. It's because they are all think that way. They're all from that same, uh, th that same uh, class. It's because they all love complex board games where the rule explanations take at least 30 minutes. <laughs> That's why they hang out. If, you, if that sounds like fun, then you can, you can uh, speak to me afterwards. <laughs> but actually, this is actually to those outside of Jesus, they actually... How do you know that person? This is an odd connection. Why do you have the same people around your house every week? Why do you do those things that kind of buck the social norms and, and trends? This is a, I think this is like part of why God has, has, has called us here in, in terms of to demonstrate that God's love is for everyone. And as part of that, the unity that we have together we can show God's love in a, in a way that the world just hasn't seen anywhere else. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. This is how God has established his church here on earth. And we're called to be formed into God's temple, the place where God has chosen to dwell in his spirit. Not a place with walls and columns and expensive masonry and gemstones, but people, you and me, who is called, who have been given a new life, people who are being transformed day by day by being rooted in Jesus, by centering their lives on Jesus, by organizing their lives in accordance with Jesus, people who begin to gleam and shine as precious gemstones. I was, well, I think we, we, I was going to put us back into discussion groups. I think I think God actually just wants us just to pause there and just actually just to experience a bit um, of his spirit this morning. I think there's some more work that, that God wants to do this morning.
I'm not sure where you are this morning on that transformation journey. Whether you've fully embraced the true life offered to us by accepting Jesus. Whether you've taken that new life into a part of Christ's body, the church, being part of the a part of um, the church in Christ. But I think, as we've said this morning, there is there is a response to God, and, and you know, uh, after Jesus has knocked on the door, the response is to open it. And in that same way, I think there is more. There is a, a response to, for us to take this morning, this next step. And that might mean simply that you will just want to pray uh, this morning as I prayed that God will reveal how much he loves you. Just a glimpse. That's all we need. Just a glimpse. Because it's so vast, we can never fully comprehend it. We can never fully understand it. It might mean that this morning you start to claim your identity more as a child of God or as a citizen of heaven in a dark place in our lives that we haven't formally invited Jesus into. Because there's still parts of our lives that we help withhold from Jesus. There's still those dark, dark areas where the effects of sin are still felt, the, where we've made mistakes, and we're actually fearful about giving that over to Jesus because of the, the guilt and the shame and the ongoing effects in that area. And there's a bravery in that step of actually saying, actually, God, I trust you. And when you shine your light in that area, there's going to be some things that I don't like. But I trust you because you are a good, good father. And we now live in a, uh, a blameless existence through Jesus, your son. might be this morning that you need to press into God's church and that is again church with a capital C it's we are an expression of God's church here this morning we're part of God's church but we're called to come alongside other believers to be shaped and formed and renewed together in Christ this is not a solo adventure this is one where God has called a body of people together What does it mean for you to press into God's church to say, God, actually, despite our differences, I'm, we're going to be unified in you? Um, I'm going to end in a moment just a quote from um, the Methodist theologian Adam Clark, which I think is, is, is good for us today. But I just want to, as we go into a song after this, to just, just uh, see where God wants to take you this morning what is the response that he's asking for this morning not only that he's asking for but is correct and true there is a true response there is a the right answer that God is asking for us because his grace for us is so large it goes beyond our feelings it goes beyond our past experiences there is something that God is asking us to do to step out in this morning there is nothing as noble as the church seeing that it is the temple of God there is nothing so worthy of reverence reverence seeing as God seeing God who dwells in it there is nothing so ancient since the patriarchs and prophets worked to build it 
There is nothing so solid since Jesus Christ is the foundation of it. There is nothing so high since it reaches as high as the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is nothing so perfect and well-proportioned since the Holy Spirit is the architect. There is nothing more beautiful because it is adorned with building stones of every age, every place, every people, from the highest kings to the lowest peasants, with the most brilliant scientists and the simplest believers. There is nothing more spacious since it spread over the whole earth and takes in all who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There is nothing so divine since it is a living building animated and inhabited by the Holy Spirit. God, as we gather here this morning, Father, as we start to just accept that gift that you've given us, Father, as we start to put on that new robe, that new identity we have in you, help us to look to you as the source of our identity, Father. Thank you. Thank you. It's freely given to us. Help us to take that next step this morning. And as we leave this place, Father, as we go out, as we go back into those dark places, Lord, and as the echoes of our former lives continue to knock off us course, help us to give that over to you, Father, as rightful ruler of our lives, as all authority is under you as everything on earth is under you. And help us to be joined together as your people, Father, free to worship you, free to uh, co-labor in, in you, with you. So Lord, as we um, bring this, uh, as we uh, sing this song, Lord, and I just pray that you'd, in every heart we'd just be able to respond to you in the, in the way that is fitting, in the way that is true, Lord. Amen.